and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Our scripture today comes from Hebrews 11. If you want to follow along in your own Bible or on your phone, or there will be verses ahead of me, and go ahead and pray for Misty and her carpal tunnel. So, okay, this is what it says. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we see now, that we now see, did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long and dead, he still speaks to us by the example of his faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him in. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. But but by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confident looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people in it, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance, and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. 
It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would never leave Egypt, he even, or would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. I heard my mom say amen. Um, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn son. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, David, Samuel, all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some of them were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray after that. So, uh, God, I thank you, as always, for this room and for these people. And I just um, thank you for the words we just read, the many, many, many of them. And I pray that in our next few minutes that you, um, as we kind of start to peek out of the wilderness, that you would use these words um, to empower us as we move forward. Will we learn from them? Would they become part of us? Uh, would you inspire and call and shift and change and uh, expose and dare and invite us uh, through them? Uh, would you give us the courage to see what you're doing in us and in this room, and, um, or I guess eyes to see that, and then the courage to join into it? In your name we pray. Amen. 
Um, so I was uh, very much struggling with how to start out uh, the sermon today. Um, I just sort of felt fresh out of embarrassing stories about me or my children. Um, I, I'm not out of them. I just uh, can't tell all of them on the stage. Um, but uh, so I was this week, I was like, how am I going to start things out? Because, you know, I like a funny story. Um, and so just to kind of waste time, I started, uh, I Googled different uh, halls of fame. And the reason for that is because Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the hall of fame of faith by uh, theologians and people that write about the Bible. And so I really was just wasting time and Googling um, halls of fame. And then um, as I am prone to do, I did um, a very deep dive into halls of fame. Um, and so I have some very interesting, and I use that word loosely, um, facts to just to tell you about and um, just absurd things that I found in my research. Um, so every state has um, at least a couple Am I saying that right? Halls of Fame? Hall of Fames? Halls of Fame. Okay, thank you. English teacher Ellen is nodding in the back. Um, okay, Halls of Fame. Every state has a few of them. Um, of course, like California and New York have the most because they have the most people. So uh, California, we probably think of the most because of the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody seen that? The stars on the ground? They're really cool. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, it's really cool. And so dirty, right? <laughs> Like, it's so filthy. There's never been more gum on any sidewalk than, like, on these people's stars. And I think it's interesting because in order to get a Hollywood um, star on the Walk of Fame, you have to be nominated, and then you get the pleasure of paying $75,000 for it, which I think is, thank you, Dad, I think is hysterical. Um, Okay, so that's California. New York has some, like, some of the biggest, especially in the sports world, the biggest halls of fame are are in New York. They have... um, uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame is there, soccer, wrestling, boxing. They also have a very niche Hall of Fame for boxing in that they have um, a Hall of Fame specific to bare-knuckle boxing. So thank God it has its own Hall of Fame. Um, if any of you are in it, I'd like to know. Um, so while, while they may have the most, um, I was trying to find the state that had the weirdest and, um, and I don't know, strangest, uh, Wisconsin one. Again, surprise, surprise. Actually, I don't even know. Is anyone from Wisconsin? I don't know anything about it. Um, but they have normal ones there, like Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame is there. Um, they, ha- but they also have a Hall of Fame for um, the international paper industry, which I didn't know was an industry. I thought that the office made that up. You know, so I'm like, is it just like office memorabilia in there? Like Michael Scott lives in Wisconsin? I don't know. Um, They also have the two creepiest halls of fame in Wisconsin. They have the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame. I'm going to pause and let you picture that. Just all the time. No thanks. Um, And they have the International Clown Hall of Fame. I'd rather be anywhere else on earth than that place. Um. Okay, this is interesting. There are 40 different cowboy halls of fame, like 40 of them, 40 different versions of them. Um, But as I was reading through that list, and I really did read through that list this week, um, the most interesting one to me is called the Buckaroo Hall of Fame. It's in Nevada, and they have decided to separate themselves from any of the other cowboy things, um, and they describe themselves like this. We're the no-frills, grittier version of cowboys. Buckaroos are lauded here for their no-nonsense approach to the Western way of life. So if that's any of you, I'd love to nominate you, um, not to cowboy 
but to uh, buckaroos. Can you imagine they get like a someone who wants to be inducted into it, and they're like, ooh, we would, but you've got too many frills, so you're going to have to go to the, the cowboy one. I don't know. Okay. Um, I have some, I, I do have some trivia questions. I really was just trying to get there. Um, I'm on Halls of Fame, um, and I would be interested to know if anyone has an answer for this. If you answer correctly to this, then if you will see Chris Campbell after service, he will give you $1 in cash money if he's got it. Um, if not, he'll tell me, and I will Venmo you $1 of uh, pretend money, because um, it's Venmo real. I don't know. Um, okay, so here's the first one. Um, does anyone know what NFL quarterback is in the Hall of Fame, but went but never won a Super Bowl. Anyone know? Just yell it out. Who said? Dan Marino, who said it? Oh, you got it right. Adam? Yes, uh, Chris, give him a dollar. (laughs) Dan Marino, that's correct. Okay, who was the first female uh, recording artist inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's not Dolly. Anyone have a guess? <laughs> hey, we take a dollar from Nick. You can pay Adam with Nick's dollar. It's Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Colby Calais was second. <laughs> um, okay, who is the first band to have not just be inducted as a band, but have all of their members inducted into the Hall of Fame? The Beatles is correct, yes. Does anyone know the second? That's a lot of dollars, Chris. Um, does anyone know the second? If I will give you $10 if you can guess it. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, of course. The Beatles and then Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Okay. Um, who is the first person to ever be inducted twice to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's a person, not a band. Bob Dylan, great guess. No. Elvis. Go see the movie. Um, um, do you know who the first person is to be inducted twice in the same year? Stills from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. What's it, what even is his first name? Does anyone know? Um, big, big Hall of Fame people. Okay. Um, the, okay. Who's the first person to be inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for three different things? So as an individual and then in two bands. Another hard one. Five dollars, Chris. Eric Clapton. You owe my dad five dollars. It is. It's Eric Clapton. <laughs> By himself and in Cream and the Yardbirds. Okay. Um, okay. Here's here's a good one. Pete Rose was famously banned from being inducted to the Hall of Fame um, for he has a lifetime ban from the Baseball Hall of Fame. But another Hall of Fame took him. Does anyone know what it is? Oh, great guess. But I don't think they have one. <laughs> It is a wrestling. WWE took him into their Hall of Fame. Perfect. Um, pay your boss, Johnny. Um, <laughs> okay, um, last one. My favorite food is the only recipe in the National Inventors Hall of Fame. It was created by a lady named Dorcas Riley who worked for Campbell Soup Test Kitchen, and she made this recipe in 1958 or 1955. Sorry, um, and it's the only recipe in the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Does anyone know what it is? Thank you. Do you know me or do you know Dorcas? I, I don't know. Um, okay, that's all, of that, that's all of my trivia. Thank you for um, appeasing me and uh, me wanting to watch you all look confused. Um, 
For the last few weeks, we have been talking about the wilderness for weeks and weeks and weeks. Someone asked me how I felt about this series, and I was like, it's good, but I'm ready to get out. Um, So it might seem strange that in a series about the wilderness, I am using a passage and then like read the whole thing uh, called the Hall of Fame of Faith to close out um, this season or to close out this time in the wilderness where we've talked about doubt and disillusion and struggles. It kind of may seem like we're reading the opposite thing. Um, But there are two reasons uh, for it. Um, First, I don't really like Hall of Fame as a a title for this chapter. Uh, I get it. I get why theologians use it. I just don't like it. Um, And the second thing is that I think it really has something to offer us as we try to kind of like uh, poke our heads out of the tree line and see what might live on the other side of the wilderness. Um, Because we've said often uh, that the wilderness is sometimes a long story but it is not our whole story. And so um, in the scriptures, faith is a very big deal. It's something that's talked about a whole lot. Uh, Depending on the translation of scriptures you use, it's around 400 times in the Bible, which uh, 400 times in the Bible is a whole lot of times. Uh, That is one of those things where it's like, hey, we're bringing this up over and over and over again because it's a main theme, it's a main uh, thing. And of the 400 times that faith is talked about in the Bible, 300 of those are in the New Testament. Faith is incredibly important to Jesus, and it's incredibly important to the New Testament uh, writers. And that's super interesting to me because I think as many times as, as it comes up in the scriptures, and as often as we look at the scriptures around here, I think if we were to go around the room, we would probably all define faith a little bit differently, right? Like we would all have a different way of saying uh, what we're trying to say. Um, But I think all of us would probably have uh, uh, some sort of common theme around the idea of faith having sort of like a blind nature to it, Uh, like a blind leap, you know, like the phrase leap of faith, if you will. Um, Something that requires us to put aside reason or logic, uh, to put those things aside in the name of Jesus. Nietzsche um, uh, called faith faith suicide to reason. And while I think that uh, that would be common, and certainly how I would try to describe faith, I actually don't think that the the leap of faith view is an entirely accurate biblical view of faith. Uh, Faith in the Bible, it it doesn't really have uh, the leap of faith connotation that we do. It's absolutely wild and it's mysterious at times, oftentimes, um, but it is not completely and totally without reason. Uh, Biblical faith engages uh, the mind and the body uh, absolutely every time. The the original word for what is translated um, from Hebrew into English for faith in the scriptures uh, essentially means to be persuaded. Um, to be persuaded. So it's a, it's a word that means to be persuaded in the mind, um, but it's an active verb when it's used. So it has an action attached to it. So maybe the best way to say, uh, to say it is that biblical faith is an action, an action dependent on a divine persuasion, an action of trust based on the trustworthiness of God. Uh, faith that is not um, the rejection of thinking or the rejection of logic, but a persuasion that has great impact on how the people of God see the world and make choices and decisions in their own life. Uh, Although um, faith is not without reason, the action, or though faith is not without reason, the action or practice of it is based on um, a persuasion that is incredibly difficult to prove or or to hold or to make tangible. 
Um, it says it in our first verse that we read, if you can remember all the way back to the beginning of Hebrews 1, um, when uh, the Hebrew author, uh, who's a, a pastor of the Hebrew church, this pastor says, faith is the promise or proof of what we hope for. It's the promise or the proof of our longings. It's the, the evidence of what cannot be seen in our world. And while that verse is an incredible sentence, the writer of Hebrews is one of my favorite uh, writers, it's also, an, uh, for all the incredible of that sentence, it's also a really frustrating sentence as well, I think, because it tells us that faith, by definition, is impossible to hold in our own two hands because it exists in something that lives beyond us. It exists in hope. It exists in unseen things uh, far beyond us. And this may sound nuts, uh, but that is not a completely bonkers sentence. It's frustrating, but not crazy, because that's true about loads of things. There are loads of wonderful things that are completely true and reasonable that I cannot prove to you, that I can't hold in my own hands. Things like, like I think, um, like I cannot fully and tangibly prove that it is better to be alive than it is to be dead, but I think it is. I take a whole lot of supplements to try to stay that way, you know? I can't tangibly prove that love is more powerful than fear or hate, but I believe that that's true. Um, I was thinking about this this week. I can prove um, my loyalty and relationship in my marriage and uh, with my kids. Like I have legal documents that says I belong to those people, but I can't prove to you the loyalty and love of my friendships, uh, though I believe it to be there. I believe it to exist between us. Although faith is not uh, without reason, it also requires us to hold tightly to something that is beyond ourselves, beyond our grasp, something that's very hard to prove, which means that faith bears with it some level of mystery and absurdity and wonder and whimsy because it points beyond itself to what has happened in Christ and what we believe will come in the future. It banks uh, on the past and it absolutely banks on the future. Uh, it's what makes this Hall of Fame list so funny to me because uh, while uh, many people in this list uh, are wonderful characters in the scripture, it also reads like a list of just crazy, dis or crazy belief. Um, it's a list of people who looked at the world and all they could see in front of them and then chose to make choices based on something beyond what they could see. Uh, like Noah. Uh, in the story of Noah, who gets listed in this list, Noah builds a boat to rescue the world from a flood, and it's not even raining yet, right? Like, that's crazy, it seems. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, who believe God, believe that God would uphold his promise to them, that they would have a son, and an their ancestors would number the stars in the sky. And they believed that during their childbearing years, but they kept on believing it long after those years had passed, like decades beyond it. Verse 11 said, it was by faith Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And then verse 12, so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. By faith, Abraham, who was as good as dead. A fun way to be described in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Faith like Moses, who sat aside all of the confidence and the safety uh, and the inheritance of royalty in order to lead his people out of slavery by following uh, what the pastor of Hebrews calls the one who is invisible. 
Moses declaring instructions and making choices for an entire people group based on not what was seen right in front of him, but uh, on the hope that existed beyond him of the God who would keep his promises. The people uh, that are listed here in Hebrews 11, their choices and their decisions for their lives and for the lives of the people they led, uh, they don't always make exact sense in light of their current circumstances. They also, and this is encouraging to me, they weren't all in like these strong, amazing places when God asked them to move in faith. Like uh, these people, they didn't just get home from like a, a weekend at a Young Life camp or a conference or a mission trip and then just like get after it faith wise. Uh, these Hall of Famers, uh, they were in walls when God asked them to move. They were in doubt when God asked them to move. They were, uh, the Hebrew tells us they, were, they lived in holes when God asked them to move. They lived in disappointment and dark nights of the soul and fear. They were owned by people and owned by other things. And yet God dared them to step out in faith there. To believe beyond their circumstances in light of a promised future exactly where they were. Uh, For these folks, uh, faith is not just um, believing that one day God would renew all things. But for them, faith was acting like it regardless of their present circumstances. I want to say that again. Uh, Faith does not mean just believing something about what God will do one day. That one day everything will be put back to right. Faith means acting as if it's true today. As true today as it will be then. It means acting like it regardless of whatever your circumstances are today. Uh, It seems to me that biblical faith has eyes to see beyond what's right in front of us uh, to the hope and the assurance of the unseen persuasion of the divine despite your current circumstances. That while what is right in front of us is absolutely true, faith declares it not the most true thing. Uh, For the people listening to this chapter, madness and lostness and darkness and despair and depression and poverty and emptiness and slavery, all of these things were true about them and were very real in their lives, but they did not live as if they were the most true thing. What I mean by that is that these things uh, uh, were not in charge of their decision-making in their lives, faith was. Hope was. A divine persuasion and a future hope is what they use to make decisions and choices in their lives. Frederick Beekner says, faith is stepping out into the unknown with nothing to guide us but a hand just beyond our grasp. So um, we've been talking about the wilderness, and so I want to spend a minute talking specifically about what faith can look like in the wilderness. Um, Because the wilderness is full, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, of things like doubt and disillusionment and questions and concerns. And so it may feel like what I'm talking about today kind of puts those things down, um, but I really don't think it does. Uh, Doubt uh, doubt and faith are not opposites, and I think in our culture they get treated um, as if they're opposites. But uh, Paul Tillich and a few others, there's quite a few Christian thinkers who get credit for this idea, but um, they say that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. And the older I get, And the more I get to know Jesus, the more convinced I become that Jesus' main goal was not the certainty of his people, but the movement of them, the action of them based on the persuasion of hope inside them. 
And so I just want to be really clear that I believe that faith makes room for your questions and it makes room for your wonderings and it makes room for your disillusionment. Um, In fact, I would argue that sometimes questions are for us a great act of faith. Um, I was listening to Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, who we love so much, uh, this week, and he said this. He said, asking questions doesn't show a lack of faith, but an engagement of it. If faith is an action on behalf of persuasion, then I would argue that questions are a very serious part of that. And if that's true, then my hope is that we wouldn't become lazy with them. Questions, I don't know if lazy is the word I'm looking for, resigned to them, but that we would be actively involved in them. Questions about God and the world and our lives and how those things intersect, those are serious questions. And I think that we would be wise to treat them as serious questions. Uh, No matter how old you are, these are serious questions. Let's not be uh, lazy with them or or treat them flippantly because they are serious for ourselves or for other people. Uh, Side note to to parents in the room, um, uh, please hear me on this. The questions about the intersection of God and life and faith in your kids are serious questions. And I think they deserve to be treated that way. They deserve to be uh, treated that way. I'm not saying that um, to be like a Christian or or biblical parent, you have to know all of the answers to the questions. Uh, Taking questions seriously does not mean perfectly answering every question that your child has or your friend or neighbor has or someone in your small group has. I mean, look at Jesus. Uh, He barely answers any questions, and he knows all the answers, right? But he takes them seriously. Jesus takes these questions quite seriously. Seriously, it's not so much about having the perfect answer as it is holding space for curiosity and holding space for wonder and holding space for discovery. Space in our lives of like, oh, you should know that or just believe. That's not space. Space allows room for the action of faith found in questions. You or your child or your friend, I want to set you free on this. Uh, You or your child or your friend uh, or whoever it is with questions in your life, um, you are not the first person to ever ask questions uh, of the Bible. Um, uh, The Bible has stood for thousands and thousands of years. Like, it can stand it. It can take your questions. It, it truly, truly can. I don't have time to go through the whole list again, but all of Hebrews 11, all of these people ask questions back to God. When he um, asked them to move in faith, they fired questions right back at him. Okay, last thing, and then we're going to close up. And this, I don't know how this flows in the sermon, but it, I, I kept thinking about this in this passage, and I couldn't quit thinking about it, so I just kind of want to end um, here. Uh, It is my understanding, and uh, recovery folks, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's my understanding that there's like a practice or a habit in AA where essentially you would find someone further along than you who has um, what you want, the life you want, the sobriety you want, the job you want, the family you want, just the life that you want, that you would find them and that you would put yourself in proximity to them uh, to find out how they got it, essentially. Essentially, it's mentorship. Um, uh, and in my experience, um, when I've done this, when I've placed myself in proximity to the people that I admire most, and when I get curious about the ways that they've ended up in the places that they are, um, they usually answer in two ways. One, there's, there's a hope of what's coming, but another thing that they do very often is that they will point backward. 
to um, events or people or struggles or things in their past that brought them uh, to where they are now. They'll point backward in order to point forward. And I was thinking that as we're closing our time in the wilderness, that um, if belief uh, is something that you're struggling with, that sometimes the best thing you can do is to look backward or to point backward in order to move forward. It's the concept of Ebenezer that we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, Looking back to the faithfulness of God in the past in order to believe it uh, for the present or for the future. Um, That's the reason I don't really love the Hall of Fame language because more than this is a list of like a big courageous list of people, and, and it is that, It's also a list of hooligans who were persuaded that God was with them, that God was on their side, that he was chasing after them, and that he would not ever stop. And the reason they were convinced of this is because that's what had happened for the people who went before them. And so they were crazy enough to believe it was true for them. And so they made decisions um, from that hope. They made decisions by looking back in order to move forward into hope. And so I think it is, that's why I wanted to read the whole chapter today, because it is good and right for us to spend time looking at, the, uh, at, at this list, uh, at the God who was faithful to Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and uh, Jacob and Joseph and Moses and uh, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, David, Samuel, all of the prophets. Looking back at their lives, at the promises they clung to, I think has power to grow our faith today. And I also think that gives us a measure of responsibility. Um, I I love uh, in these verses, in verse 21, it talks about uh, Jacob. And then um, I think right before it, it talks about Joseph. And they both do this. But uh, in in verse 21, Jacob, he's resting on his cane and he's doing two things. And I wonder if you caught it. Uh, He's resting on his cane. He's at the very end of his life, and he's doing two things. Uh, He's worshiping, and he's blessing. Jacob is at the the latest stages of his life, and he spends his days worshiping and blessing. And so I just want to say this. If you are here, and you are in the second half of your life, and you define what that is. For some of y'all, that might be 30, and some of y'all, that might be 60. But you define. If you're here, and you're in the second half of your life, um, I wonder if you would consider spending time on that, on verse 21. Considering um, how that you can, before you're at the end of your life, before you are leaning on your cane, how can you show up uh, in your life? But as a pastor, I would say, how can you show up in this room uh, and worship and bless? How can you show up and worship, point to the faithfulness of God in your life and stories you know of? And how can you bless the people here uh, to bless what God is doing in their lives and will do in their lives? Point to the faithfulness of the God before in the Bible and in your life and bless and declare the promises of hope over the people uh, that you live and work and learn and play with, but also in this room. Uh, How might we worship and bless? uh, How might that grow in you uh, in the later stages of your life? Uh, What might that look like in retirement or empty nesting or just whatever seasons of your life? And if you want to consider that with someone, please call me because I will have coffee and we will talk about it because I have some ideas and some jobs for you. Um, And listen, this isn't just for for people in the the second half of life. 
Uh, it is our hope and our vision at this church uh, that every single person would both look ahead and look behind. That everyone in the church would look ahead to find someone like a decade or a season ahead and see how they're doing things and put themselves in proximity to someone ahead of them. But that every single person in this church would do it with someone behind them as well. To look behind a decade or a stage of life and, and see what you can offer behind you uh, as well. I know many of you are like me. I cannot imagine that anyone would want the information I have. But you pay me to give it to you every week. We want the information. So if you're in college, what would it look like for you uh, to do this for kids who are in middle school or high school? Or maybe if you have kids that are in college or post-college, what, what would it look like for you to spend time with people who have kids in elementary school or, or middle school or, or the nursery? If you're single in your 40s, what would it look like for you to bless the singleness of someone in their 20s or 30s? I don't know. I could keep going. I won't. In fact... We're just get, we're gonna move to Selah on, on on that note and just take a quiet pause. The band can come on up, um, and in this time we'll just be quiet for a little while. There'll be verses on the screen. I want to ask you to consider two questions, um, and you can pick which one you want to answer. But maybe just in the in the quiet, consider two questions. Here's the first one: uh, is the thing we just talked about. What does worship and blessing look like in your life? What action of faith might God be stirring in you where you live and work and learn and play? Like, is there uh, someone or a group of someones uh, who God might want you to walk with, to proclaim his trustworthiness over and to bless his promise of? Uh, uh, This is just a thought and... um, because it's honest, um, we have so many boys in kids' ministry to youth ministry. We did the statistics, and we are like, um, in some places, we're two to, or three to one boys and girls, and some of it, um, or we have three boys for every one girl, um, and, and, and others, it's four to one. We've done the math recently. Uh, we have so many boys, and we need more male leaders in kids' ministry and youth ministry. So is there something like that, some sort of action that God wants to put behind um, this idea? Um, here's another uh, uh, idea. Is there a lot of parents here in this room who are dying for a person or a couple who are a stage above them to walk with them and remind them that the traumas of right now are not the most true things about their kids? Um, and so I, I, I wonder what that might look like for you. So. You've, you figured out um, what does worship and blessing look like in your life, and maybe does the Holy Spirit want to put some sort of action on it? And here's the second thing. Um, you can pick which question. We talked about uh, the folks in Hebrews whose lives were marked by a persuasion beyond circumstance that lives, beyond the circumstances that lives in hope. And, I, um, and how for them, it led them to make choices and decisions that didn't um, much make sense in their current circumstances, but were banking on the hope of the Christ who was to come. And so I wonder, as an exercise in faith, if you would consider, um, can you point to an area of, of your life that is marked by faith? Is there an area of your life that is marked by uh, choices and living that may not make a whole lot of sense on this side of things, but is banking on the hope of the Christ that is to put all things back together? Um, Maybe it's your boundaries, like what you say yes to or no to in order to be more present where you live, work, learn, and play. Uh, maybe it's your finances. Uh, again, what you say yes to or no to in order to live with like radical generosity. Maybe it's your ethics, your work ethics or sexual ethic or how you do your taxes. I don't know. 
Um, But I wonder if there's something that you can point to in your life that is marked by faith. Uh, A divine persuasion built on the hope regardless of circumstances. And if not, I would just be curious why. Okay, I'm just going to, that was a lot of questions. I'm just going to pray and leave you space to answer. So Jesus, we thank you. for moments together and a whole lot of words. And so I just ask that your spirit would come and would you um, fill us with courage to consider one of these questions. For some of us in the room, I I just ask, what would it um, look like to view our lives and our choices through the lens of worship and blessing? Would you give us eyes to see places that we can tell the stories of your truthfulness and places that we can look at other people and bless what God is doing inside them to see what they may not be able to see for themselves because of the hope that we believe in and then um, and it's the other question I just I pray for the courage um, to look honestly at our lives we try to do that a lot around here to see our lives as they actually are not just as we would hope they are And I just pray that you would show us places that we are walking in faith, places where we are choosing to live our lives um, for a hope that exists beyond us when it might not make sense in our current circumstances. And I just pray that you would um, bless that, that your spirit would bless that, that you would encourage us, that our faith would grow uh, because we see evidence of it in our lives. In your name we pray.